Ephesians uh, chapter 2, uh, I love the book of Ephesians, and I'm, I am in it quite regularly, and so you will hear me refer to it quite regularly. But tonight, I want us to be in Ephesians chapter 2, but I want to start in Jude. There's only one chapter in Jude, so. Verse 24 and 25. In the book of Jude, um, the, the writer is writing this letter, and it's a very straightforward, rather direct letter. Short, sweet, and to the point. Absent the sweet. Jude, Jude is not really a sweet letter. It is a correction to the church. And I don't want, I'm not going to get into all of that. But the way that scripture is written, these, these letters to the churches are written in such a way as the, the writer will usually write, who, who if, if it is said who was writing it, it says it in the first or second verse there. You know, especially in Paul's writings, he refers to himself, I, Paul, and he tells you who is writing. So the same thing happens in the book of Jude. In the first verse, Jude uh, says, Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. So he tells you who he is. This is who is writing this. And then at the end of the, the letter, and this is where I want us to go in verse 24 and 25, at the end of the letter, he gives glory to God after he has corrected them rather directly. He says, In verse 24 and 25, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior who alone is wise be the glory and majesty, dominion and power both now and forever. I actually want to talk to you about those two verses. We're going to be in Ephesians, but, I'm, but we're talking about this closing salutation. And the reason that we are talking about this closing salutation is that I understand that as a believer, we face seasons of challenge in our life. I've been in one of those seasons of challenge where you feel tired, you feel, maybe you feel frustrated, maybe you feel scattered, maybe you feel pressure from the outside coming in, maybe you feel financial pressure, maybe you feel all of these things pressing against you, and you begin to respond to those things. Your flesh, you can only go under pressure for so long before you as an individual would respond to the pressure that is around you. Absent the presence of the Lord and the participation of the Holy Spirit in your life, we would soon be faltered. And the apostle says to the church repeatedly uh, in his letters, uh, how have you been removed from what we first taught you? How have you fallen from, from what we first brought you? How, how are you stumbling in this area or that area? He, he makes references like that through his letters. How are you, for, are you forgetting what you've been taught and how you've been directed or, or forgetting uh, how when you first came? And so I want to talk to you about that tonight because it is an interesting thing that Jude, if you read this letter, and we won't do that tonight, he comes in and he talks to them about contending for the faith. He talks to them about apostate people within the church preaching false doctrine or bringing false uh, 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 
teaching to the church and, and he talks about uh, they are depraved and they are doomed. He's talking about c- people coming in among you and say, teaching you things that are not from God. And he's saying those people are depraved and they are doomed. I mean, he did not mince words in this book, in this letter. 23 verses of let me rip you up. It's, re- it's really, it is. If, if, if the persons whom he was speaking of were reading it, they would have been quite furious because he basically said to them, you're on your way to hell, buddy. God is not going to be merciful to you. And he's talking to people who were participating in the life of the church. He's talking about people who were participating in the life of the church, the the, the body of Christ at that time. And he predicted in his letter, he essentially predicts that this is going to be an ongoing thing for the church. There's always going to be apostates. Paul said that as well. There's always going to be false teachers. So Jude just rips them up one side and down the other as ingraciously as he possibly can, I think. I think he was just straightforward. I love the guy with all my heart because that's me. I'm just, when we're talking about the things of God, I'll play games with you, I'll laugh with you, I'll joke with you. But when we are talking about the things of God, I will get serious with you now. I'm thinking about, there was a young man who I have been mentoring from afar. I've never met him. I'll just tell, use this story. I've never met him. He is called of God. He is an author. He is a very sweet individual. I can tell in the conversations that that I've had with him that he wants to please the Lord. He is evangelistic in his nature. He is probably prophetic, except he doesn't quite believe in all that stuff. Not that God cares, because the Lord works through you whether you know what to call it or not. You know, I've watched him over and over again. Uh, But anyway, this guy was writing a letter. He wrote a letter, and he said, I'm going to publish this letter, and I want to know if anyone would like to read it first. The minute somebody says, I'm going to make this public, but I want to know if anybody wants to read it first, my ears perk up. So I immediately emailed him, and I said, I would love to read what you are going to write. And he wrote an expose about all the problems with the church, and I mean... Miles long, he laid it out, just like Jude would lay it out to these apostates. Okay, the problem is 98% of what he said is correct in his assessment. But the problem with being correct in that assessment is you take Jesus out of the equation and you take the moving of the Holy Spirit out of the equation and you take the fact that God works through imperfect people all the time to accomplish magnificently perfect things. None of that was in the equation. So I prayed for a moment, and I wrote him back, and I said, I've read your expose, and unfortunately, the majority of what you've said, I have to say is correct. However, and I began to talk to him about the love of the Lord and the grace of God and the way God works through his imperfect church and how God loves imperfect people and how the Lord, I I spoke to him about how he corrects leaders and all all those biblical things, and at the end of a couple of exchanges of letters, he said, wow. I have to take this back to the Lord and consider what you've said. And I haven't seen his paper published, so I'm I'm assuming that he received from that. But that's the kind of directness with which Jude was speaking to the 
church, and he did not make any apologies for the fact that in this case he was speaking to people who were apostate or rebellious um, and teaching false doctrine. But then he says to the church, after he's just said that I'm talking to people among you who are, as far as he was concerned, outcasts. Then he says, but unto him who is able to keep you from falling. Unto him who is able to keep you from falling. In scripture, the Bible says, right among you as a church, there is not a single church on the earth in which there are not hypocrites in it in which there are not people attending who have not received Jesus. There are people who are part of the church who are essentially pretending. Not this church, but you know what I mean. So far as I know, I don't, you know, if God shows me who they are, then I know who they are, but he doesn't typically show us. What he says is this. The scripture teaches that there will always be false doctrine in your midst so you can tell what's true. There'll be false teachers, so it'll make the, you, you trust your discernment. There's always going to be somebody among you that's saying something that's not quite correct. And even if that individual loves Jesus and is the right, um, has their heart right, but they have a wrong attitude or opinion or a frame of mind about something, they're going to express something that's, in, that, that's potentially incorrect. Your discernment should go, ooh, right up on the back of your neck. The Spirit of the Lord in you should say, wait a minute, something about that is bothering me even if you can't describe what it is, right? The scripture also says, let the wheat grow up with the tares. The scripture teaches pastors and leaders not to go through the church and kick everybody out who doesn't agree with them or who is not easy to get along with. Or, you know, the church is not supposed to be full of a bunch of yes men where the church or the pastor is concerned. That's, I'm, I'm getting to share with you some real life stuff here. So, the, so Jude writes to them in the middle of this kind of context where there are people among them who do not want for their best interest and their well-being. And he says to them, unto him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you. And I just wanted that those words became very encouraging to me this week that the spirit of the Lord would have said through Jude at the end of his exhortation, let me just tell you, even when things are difficult, unto him who is able to keep you from falling, I don't care what you're going through, he is able to keep you from falling. And I begin to look back over my life and I begin to think about the times and the places where I was in a place of struggle or, or a place of temptation or a place of frustration and how the Holy Spirit began to put guards around my life to keep me on track and to not let me fall. Did you know that Jesus said when he prayed to the Father in John chapter 17, they are still with me. I have not lost one of them except the son of perdition who, who it was predetermined would walk away. I've not lost one of them. The Holy Spirit would love to stand before the Father and say, I've not lost one of them. That's how determined he is to keep you stepping. Isn't that great? The Holy Spirit is absolutely determined to keep you as believers in step 
with what God is doing in the church, with what God is doing in the earth, with, with what God is doing in your life, with how God is ordering your direction and making your way. It is the Holy Spirit's purpose to keep you in step. He won't let you get out of step if you and I will. We're going to go back to that good old foundation. If you and I will listen. If we will hear his voice, he will keep us in step with him. So Jude says to him who's able to keep you from to keep you from stumbling, not just dropping out completely, just stumbling, just stumbling to him who's able to keep you from stumbling. And then he says the motivation that the Holy Spirit has behind that and to present you faultless. I want to tell you something. The Apostle Paul is a good example of this because the Apostle Paul, before he met Jesus, was responsible for the stoning of Stephen and other atrocious acts against the church. And then Jesus comes to the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus and he says, Hey, look here. I'm the guy. You're messing with me. You know, he says, Why are you, why are you uh, to the, persecuting me? And Paul says, Persecuting you? Who are you? He says, I'm Jesus. You're persecuting. And then he tells him, I want you to go and I want you to Listen, I'm going to send someone to you to tell you the truth. And so the Apostle Paul hears the truth. He begins to walk with God. How many understand that the Apostle Paul was not infallible? He was human, just like you and I. He was not beyond making errors, mistakes. He explained that he made some. He explained that in times when he desired to go do certain things that the enemy won some battles against him and he wasn't able to accomplish what he set out to accomplish. He explained that he had faults. And at the end of his life, he stands and or sits and he writes, I have wronged no one. I have wronged no one. Because he understood the relationship that we have with Jesus, that even in the middle of our mistakes and our errors, he is able to keep us from stumbling and to present us faultless. So the Apostle Paul knew in all of his imperfections and all of his falterings and in all of his frustrations and in some of his poor decisions and in some of the ways that he was trying to hear from God but not quite being able to hear and going after things and it not working out and and going to do something else and that not quite working out right and him being human as he was and making the mistakes that he made he said I am faultless it is this the purpose of the Holy Spirit to get you from where you are today to the end of your life and have you be able to say, I am faultless. You ought to be shouting over that. Now listen, Jesus considers you faultless, but that's not what we're talking about. You are righteous based on the work of Christ. 
But we're talking about the process of life. The Apostle Paul gets to the end of the process of life and says, I have wronged no one, I am faultless. And Jude is talking to a church that's got false teachers in the middle of it, knowing that those false teachers would try to lead those people astray. And he said, it is the Spirit of God that is able to keep you from stumbling in the middle of even false teachers. We are in a generation full of false teachers. We are in a generation full of false doctrine. We are in a generation where people around you want to do everything they can used by the enemy because our fight's not against flesh and blood, but nevertheless, the enemy wants to veer you off course. And Jude says to them, unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. He is able to present you faultless no matter what's behind you, And no matter what is ahead of you, and no matter what you're going through today, he is able to present you faultless. You have yet to surprise God about your weaknesses. You have yet to surprise God about your struggles. You have yet to surprise him about your frailties. You have yet to surprise him about your attitude. Yeah, you have yet to surprise him about any of the weaknesses of your flesh. You have yet to surprise him. He is not caught off guard. Now, just turn very quickly, if you want, or slowly, if you don't. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. I'm actually teaching this backwards. I actually turned my outline upside down. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4. We're going to read through verse 4 through verse 10. But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, By grace you have been saved. And raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And he repeats himself. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them and everybody ought to give a rousing shout of amen because those verses will teach themselves but we are his workmanship he's knocking the rough edges off He's responsible for shaping us and molding us and making us and raising us up to be who we need to be in our generation and for helping us through those rough spots and for helping us through those difficult places. We are his workmanship. That's why I said, you haven't surprised him. I haven't surprised him. He hasn't been caught off guard yet. He is God. But I want to 
point you to the first phrase in verse 4, and I want to talk about this for just a little bit. I want to show you from the Old Testament now, just as I've shown you somewhat from the New Testament, how urgent it is to the Spirit of God to keep you on track. It's a familiar passage of Scripture if you've been in the the Word of God very long, but maybe unfamiliar to some of you. But that first phrase there says, but God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he has loved us. I want to talk about that mercy for a minute, and I want to talk about it from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, in Numbers chapter 22, there's a story. I'm not going to turn there, and we're not going to take a long time with this story because it's a longer story. But there was a prophet who was clearly from the story had the ability to hear from God and knew the voice of the Lord. And there were people in Numbers chapter 22 who were coming to him and wanting him to come and prophesy what they wanted him to prophesy against their enemies. In short, if I can summarize the story. Why was this even something that they would try to do? Because the word says of the prophets that if they prophesy, God would honor their word. If they were truly a prophet of God, he would honor their word. So they weren't allowed to get it wrong. Because if they got it wrong, they produced an obligation in the contract with God, in the agreement with God, that he would honor their word. So he was going, he had decided these people were going to hire him to prophesy what they wanted him to prophesy against their enemies, and he decided that he would do that. And so he jumps up on his donkey, and he's going with them with the full intent to disobey God and to prophesy what they, what they wanted him to prophesy. Now I want you to understand this. He got on his donkey and went with the full intent to disobey God. Are you, under, are you following that train of thought? How many of us in our generation have gotten in our cars to go down the road with the full intent of disobeying God? That's the guy I'm talking about right now. Balaam gets up on his donkey and he heads down the road. He's going to meet these guys and he's going to go prophesy over their enemies exactly the opposite of what he was hearing from God. Or, or certainly at least what they were asking him to say. He, they were saying, we want you to come and curse these people. Would you come and do it? We'll pay you to do it. Anybody know those kind of preachers? Just preach what we want to hear. We'll write the check. Oh, man, I'm going to get myself in trouble before this night is over. Uh, nevertheless, Balaam is going after these people to prophesy against the purposes of God. And the Bible says that in the middle of it, he's going through a narrow place, passageway, and his donkey starts acting up. And he beats the tar out of that donkey, gets back on it, begins to ride further, and his donkey starts acting up again. And he wails on that donkey three times. And the third time, the Bible says that God opened that donkey's mouth, and that donkey began to say, why are you whipping on me? 
And Balaam says to the donkey, read it, it's in there, Numbers 22. Balaam says to the donkey, because I'm riding you and you keep stopping. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing the whole thing. Because you're not doing what I've asked you to do. And the donkey says, how long have you had me? And how long have I always done exactly what you told me to do? Shouldn't it get your attention if suddenly I'm not doing what you told me to do? That's what he said to him. And in that moment, the Bible says that Balaam's eyes were open and he saw the angel of the Lord standing there. And the donkey could see the angel and the stupid prophet couldn't. Because... Going against the will of God, his eyes were not exactly open. And his ears were not exactly tuned. So the donkey saves him from the angel standing there with the sword. And the angel says to him three times, he's kept you from my sword. And three times you've beaten the tar out of him for it. And then the Lord tells him, go and prophesy, but you say only what I tell you to say. Now, I want to talk to you about God who is rich in mercy. People who don't understand the word will go on about the judgments that are in the Old Testament. But right here, we see a moment in God who is rich in mercy because that old prophet was about to meet his doom. And it was the mercy of the Lord and the wisdom of that donkey. It was the mercy of God that Balaam was not killed that day, that his life was not required of him that day. He was willingly going to disobey God. Now I want to just remind you again of the words of Jude, unto him who is able to keep you from falling, to keep you. I believe it ought to be our prayer that God puts tight fences around us. And I believe that when he puts tight fences around us, that we shouldn't fight against them and we shouldn't press against them and we shouldn't push back against them and say, why won't you let the restraints off of me a little bit? We let the guidance of the Holy Spirit become a frustration to us. The problem is that in the New Testament, we understand the Bible teaches us The apostles taught us that there is a point where the Holy Spirit stops with the guarding and says, okay, fine, have your own way. And steps back. And the Bible says that God turns them over to their own way, to their own thinking, and they decide to disregard God just like Balaam did in their own heart. Scripture calls that... King James calls it a reprobate mind. I want you to hear these words again. This has not been a really long study tonight. But I want to challenge you and I want to encourage you. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. Raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That in the ages to come, that in the seasons that are ahead of you, 
And when it says in the ages to come, it does not particularly mean eternity. It could mean that. It probably means both. But it certainly means in the days ahead of you that God loved you so much, he caused you to sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus and raised you up, seated you together in heavenly places, verse 7, that in the ages to come or in the seasons that are yet ahead of you, that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Y'all ought to be saying, there are some days yet ahead of me that are good days. There are some seasons ahead of me that are blessed seasons. If I'll just stay the course now, if I'll let the Holy Spirit keep me on course, if I will not let, I'm preaching myself, if I will not, can I preach to me? If I will not let the challenges and the frustrations of life veer me off course or get me frustrated and get my eyes and my attention off of the prize, if I will stay the course and allow the Holy Spirit to narrow the path. Oh, we want to be in a broad place. Holy Spirit, narrow the path that we are on. Narrow it. Cause our feet to be in a sure place in a narrow path. That's not the cry of our generation. The generation that we are in wants a broad place. But the Bible says the way to the presence of God is narrow. Straight is the gate, narrows the way, and few there be that actually find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are people just walking that broad road. And I believe that a mature believer will begin to say to the Lord, put me in a narrow place. We feel, listen, I'm talking to you tonight now. I'll just do some pastor talk. We, feel, we tend to feel so frustrated when the place he puts us in is narrow. When you feel like you cannot move or turn or go a different direction than you are going, the likelihood is that the Holy Spirit put you there. You hearing me? The likelihood is that it is the Spirit of God that put you there. The world has learned this. Because if you go into... um, let's say that you're dealing with addiction and you go into an NA or you go into a program of some kind. What happens in that program? They put you in a narrow place. You have to check in. You have to check out. You have to sign this. You have to do that. You have to test this. You have to test that. You You have to give assurance that you're doing the right thing before you come into places of liberty. When God puts you in a narrow place, it is intentional that he is putting you in a narrow place so that he can keep you from stumbling. The point of a narrow place is to keep you from stumbling. Oh, God, put us in a narrow place. Oh, God, keep us in a narrow place. That just sounds uplifting, doesn't it? Y'all are like, Yahoo, that'll, I'll just go home and be joyful. No, the reality of it is, it is not fun. 
It is not particularly joyful to be in a narrow place. It is not particularly an easier place. We are in a generation where people want to be taught to walk in the easy places. You're living in a generation where, where people want to hear, Oh, God, bless me. Enlarge me. Enlarging comes soon enough. Enlarge me. Oh, God, bless me. Increase me. When I believe the Holy Spirit is saying to the church today, would you let me narrow the path? I believe the word of the Lord to the church today is, would you stop fighting against me and let me narrow the path that you are on? I don't want to start prophesying, but I'm feeling that urgency within me that the Holy Spirit would say to to believers, those who are set apart unto God, those who would be a part of the remnant church of this generation who would say, I will follow you passionately with all of my heart, that the Lord would say, okay, follow me here. And as much, you can go anywhere in town, you can find somebody who'll preach you a foot-stomping, joyful message. But this is what I'm hearing the Spirit of the Lord say. The other side of that is found in Jude, those two verses we read in 24 and 25. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Now, you can have your joy now, temporarily, or you can have your joy later, eternally. Now, that doesn't mean there's no joy in this. I'm having more fun going to heaven than anybody should. I, have, I am having a blast serving God. It is a hoot. He surprises me almost every day. With some, uh, he surprised me on Sunday, Angel. Uh, girl, when that, uh, that totally surprised me. I didn't feel anything in particular, but God answered our prayer. We're going to talk about that on Sunday. He, he loves to surprise us. He loves to bring joy to us. He is delighted to, the Father is delighted to do good things for his children. Yes. But the word says when we are children... We are until until we are come into full inheritance, we are under tutors and governors until the time that the master of the house says they are ready to be released. So whenever God is doing something in you in, in the way of maturing, you come into a tutor and governor situation. You come into a narrow place. You come into a place of personal disciplines. You come into a place where God is helping you. To, the Holy Spirit is leading you to discipline yourself. And you come into those disciplines in that narrow place. And then whenever he sees that you have proven yourself in that narrow place and you have walked under submission and, and in wisdom and being strengthened and taught, then he releases you into that wide place of joy and strength. So there's places in the life of every believer where we're walking in great understanding and wisdom and joyful wide places of, and, and receiving the, all, uh, you know, the outpouring of blessing. And there's places in our life where the Holy Spirit is saying, can you let me discipline you for a little bit into this? Have some self-discipline and some structure and bring you into this narrow place because I love you 
Ephesians says, because I'm rich in mercy, because I have great love toward you, and because I have seated you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the seasons ahead of you, the apostle put it this way, uh, or the, the word puts it this way about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despised the shame, but he's now seated at the right hand of God. Jesus went to the garden and he said, oh God, if there's any way possible, let this cup pass from me. But then somewhere in that intercession, he fixed his eyes on the prize that was before him, the joy that was before him of all of us as believers being gathered around the throne with him, being seated together in heavenly places. He saw that afar off and he said, because of what he, the joy of what he saw before him, we are supposed to live for God because of the joy that is set before us. The joy that we receive now and that we walk in now and that we live in now is so superficial in comparison to the joy that is set before us. And then the Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, I just put those things that are behind me, behind me. I forget about them. I set my eye on the mark and on the prize of the high calling of those that are in Christ Jesus and I run toward that prize with patience. Nothing is going to stop me from achieving that prize. That's how he viewed it. So, if we're in a joyful place for the moment, if we're in a place of of celebration for the moment, let us celebrate with great joy. Let us rejoice in that moment. But if God is bringing us into a place where he says, Let me for a season make this place narrow for you. Let me put guards around your life. Let me put accountability around you. Let me put people around you. Let me put um, strength around you where you're weak so that you can walk through that narrow place and come out on the other side 